the big use case for AI, uh, I think, is just uh, conceptually minimizing the grunt work that people have to do. Hi, and welcome to Tech News This Week. I'm your host, Tech Target Editorial News Director, Antone Gonsalves. On today's show, we'll discuss the highlights from the HPE Aruba Atmosphere Conference and the RSA Security Show. We'll also explain why the Federal Trade Commission has taken a hardline position on the use of AI in business. First is Aruba. At its show in Vegas this week, the networking division of Hewlett Packard Enterprise launched a redesign of its popular network management platform, Central. Here to tell us about the changes and other conference highlights is Bob Lalibert, an analyst with Tech Targets Enterprise Strategy Group. Uh, so what's new in uh, Central and how dramatic is the, the change? Yeah, it's a fairly significant improvement. Great user interface, hierarchical approach, kind of a solar system approach where you can drill down into different layers and it's much more, I guess, easily organized. All of the end users that I've talked to when I've caught them in the halls or having meals and so forth, uh, have been really impressed with it. They're looking forward to using it. But for those who don't want to, they've also initiated a, an easy toggle switch where you can go between interfaces. So it's that ability to leverage the new technology. But if you're not comfortable with it, you just press the button and you're back to your usual, usual comfortable interface. But I think, mm. like I said, they're they're trying to make these changes to accommodate the more highly distributed environments, the more complex environments, and making it easier to be able to quickly go through and, and diagnose problems, to be able to have that full end-to-end visibility across these large environments as they now are, are you know, going between the data center all the way to the edge, right, with all their solutions. Yeah, so, so, so what's changed? Well, why introduce this, uh, this more graphical visualization uh, interface? Uh, I mean, why do it now versus, I don't know, three years ago, four years ago? I mean, what's changed in the, in the, in the market? Yeah, well, like I said, I think one of the biggest reasons for doing this, and especially the hierarchical piece, is the fact that the environments are getting that much more complex, right? Our research has shown that more and more organizations are moving applications to multiple public clouds. More applications are moving to the edge, right? You've got all the remote workers, things like that. So things are far more distributed and more complex. And trying to be able to display that complete end-to-end interface in one image on a screen is going to be highly complex. So being able to break it down and then have it be able to alert and bring you to the areas of concern more quickly are all things that are going to help drive operational efficiency, which is what is sorely needed for these IT organizations to deal with this complex environment. Yeah, I think the majority or a large portion of Aruba's uh, customer base are universities. So I was thinking that possibly these changes in Central uh, is is in recognition of the fact that the IT talent university, there's usually very few people and, they, and they're not high level engineers, you know, necessarily. That's it's. I mean, the, the hard part, I think, overall is just there's just a lack of skilled IT resources in general. At the same mm-hmm. time, the IT environment is getting more complex. And so in addition to the skilled resources, it's also even for the skilled resources is there's a lack of time to be able to accomplish all of these things. So, so in addition to the new user interfaces, you see them also doing a lot of enhancements to their AI operations as well to be mm-hmm. able to you know, eliminate having to do those 
mundane routine things or to be able to accelerate troubleshooting so you're not spending hours trying to find the problem you're just able to see it and fix it quickly so i think it's a combination of of those things but i mean i spoke to customers that uh who were running you know big stadiums and things like that they were very eager to adopt it and look at it as well as you know the colleges and universities so i think across the board what i've seen this week is that organizations you know, they need to be able to there's certainly that shift left mentality and be yeah. able to move faster, get closer to DevOps and things like that. And so these new interfaces, the the intelligence and automation that's being added to them are all steps mm-hmm. that are being taken by the by Aruba to enable organizations to to uh, accommodate those needs and to shift left and to drive greater operational efficiencies. OK, what I didn't you know, they have an SD-WAN, as we know, yep. when they bought uh, Silver Peak a few years ago. Uh, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't see any announcements uh, related to cloud networking. Uh, do you expect that that topic to, to be addressed eventually by? Uh, yeah, by I, I think so. I mean, they've got they, they had an SD WAN solution as part of their SD branch. They then acquired Silver Peak, as you said, that's brought on substantial connect. You know, substantial SD WAN capabilities and footprint. They've now acquired Axis as well, right? The security side. So they've got an integrated SASE offering. And so that's a lot of the right dealing with the remote workers and things like that and hybrid work. But they are starting to look at, you know, and there's been a couple of the their sessions here that have talked about multi-cloud networking. A lot of them have been about the SD-WAN connecting to the cloud. But I think that's an area of, of um, I guess, investigation for them. And I, I would expect that over time we'll probably hear more from them about the, the multi-cloud environment as well. Okay. And uh, lastly, you know, they also rolled out something that they called uh, Agile Network as a, as a service. Uh, what is that? Yeah, absolutely. So it's, uh, the, just take a step back, right? HPE, which they are now becoming more tightly integrated with, and that was indicated by the new uh, logo. Uh, I don't know if you saw any of my, my tweets, but they have, it used to be Big Aruba, small HPE, you know, Hewlett Packard Enterprise Company. Mm-hmm. Now it's big HPE, Aruba Networking. So there's there's some tighter integration, but they still retain a lot of their their autonomy. But a big piece of that is integrating with GreenLake and being able to deliver things as a service. Now, what Aruba's seen over the last several years is that, you know, one one size does not fit all when it comes to networking solutions. How people want to do it, right? Is it going to be fully managed, co-managed, do organizations want to have control? Is it subscription? Is it consumption-based, right? I mean, there's there's lots of areas. I think they have six key components that they use to define what an agile NAS environment is. But for them, it's really all about giving their, their customers choice. It's about mm-hmm. how do you want to consume this in which format, how much management levels, right? And kind of sliding bars across all six of these terms to let the, the customers define the best fit for their unique environment. Sure. So it's a pretty much uh, however you want to consume their, their products, they'll sell it to you. They Correct. Yeah. So they're not, they don't want to force them into, this is our fixed definition and you yeah. have to consume it this way or the highway. It's much more of let's figure out what, what works best for you, you know, and especially when it comes to, to pricing we always say, you know, surprises are for birthdays, not your, your IT bill. So, mm-hmm. you know, do you want it subscription-based? Do you want it as a lease? Do you want it as true consumption, et cetera? Okay, next is RSA. AI and its impact on security was a major theme at the show in San Francisco. Uh, here to tell us why is Tech Target editorial security reporter, Alex Kalafi. 
So before we get started on AI, uh, what was the mood like in this year's show and uh, what stood out to you? So this is my third RSA. The first one I went to was early 2020. I had been on the security beat um, and actually in like traditional tech journalism for a few months at the time. And it was also as COVID was happening because it was, I think, late February. I think I met you in person for the first time at that RSA. And then 2021, there was no RSA because of COVID restrictions, folks still figuring it out, us still being in the thick of things. 2022, they brought it back, but there was like a uh, a convoluted but necessary like process for confirming that people were vaccinated and um, you could feel the presence of COVID over that show mm-hmm. uh, and in part because there weren't that many people. 2023 has been a big tone shift in that it was packed, maybe as packed as 2020 was. I, I don't know the numbers exactly, but it was very packed. And like also not very many masks. Like I had mine on the whole time, but I got to say you were here in that conference cough after a couple of days. Uh, mm-hmm. But on the security side, it's cool because uh, people are getting out there again, holding meetings. You see life coming back to normal and you see people, you know, excited to pitch stuff again. Like it's not low energy like last year was. And I think that part was really, really nice. Sure. And, uh, and what stood out for you on, uh, on the tech side? Who's AI? Like, I, I know that um, after Microsoft sort of announced their multi-billion, multi-year investment into uh, ChatGPT publisher OpenAI a few months yeah. ago, that like AI was going to be the big thing across all the enterprise departments that, that we uh, work on at Tech Target Editorial. But mm-hmm. security, I was surprised to see the uh the the prominence of um the ai that was being sold on the show floor some of it a little buzzwordy maybe a little misleading if if i looked into it further for some of the smaller vendors but you also had um google and uh ibm announcing new ai powered suite uh versions of their of some other uh, security products along with some other vendors announcing some security products so like AI was fully in the air. All right. So, so how is uh, how would AI in general, you know, change cyber cybersecurity? What what are the proponents saying? So, I talked to five, six, seven people uh, this week at RSA, and I asked them that very same question: like, mm-hmm. what is this moment of AI and cybersecurity? Is it new technology? Uh, is it a big buzzword, or is it both? And they're like, yes, it's it's both. And so part of it is messaging like uh, chat GPT has gone into the public's hands and now people are way more receptive to AI as uh, as a concept. Uh, the public is. And as such, um, what I've heard is that enterprises are feeling more empowered to start selling AI or to like put it, let's say, front and center, even though like vendors have been using AI and machine learning for some cases for decades. So it's not exactly new technology. And a lot of the technology that's coming out isn't strictly new technology, but refined technology. On the other hand, there are some cool applications that are starting to emerge more. Like I think Google and IBM, uh, they can prioritize threat alerts. Uh, So it can sort of, um, if there's multiple uh, points of concern in your network, uh, it can prioritize and act on them in order. There's uh, automated threat hunting, so it identifies the the software identifies the threats 
and then sort of uh, appropriately goes after it without you needing to do much, which is kind of pre-existing but refined technology. However, the big use case for AI, uh, I think, is just uh, conceptually minimizing the grunt work that people have to do. So, like, uh, I so for instance, and in our our job as journalists, like, uh, I'm I'm even at 28, I'm old enough to remember like recording things and then transcribing by hand a 40 minute interview with something like Otter AI, you plug in the MP3, you can pull quotes, listen back, get exactly what you need in like an eighth of the time. And security has its own versions of that where the data processing is getting faster. Um, the analytic stuff is getting faster and security professionals can do the important stuff and focus on the more important stuff Quicker. And I think that's sort of where the exciting stuff is, is that all the annoying work or the, the stuff that's like that used to be more granular is starting to get automated and like uh, code, for example, it can like I, I've heard that like chat GPT or like open AI stuff can um, can generate like pretty good code or check it uh, pretty well as well. And I think that automation and that like speeding up what was once a completely manual process. I think that's the going to be the exciting stuff right now across the board, including uh, security, right. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It, it seems like uh, the initial use of AI is all about um, uh, efficiency and uh, mm -hmm. saving, saving people's time. I mean, it'll be interesting to see as uh, the technology matures, how it gets more, you know, more incorporated. It goes beyond just, just efficiency, you know, like helping people, like actually making decisions in terms of how to how to protect uh, a, a company, you know, launching some type of uh, defensive software, you know, in, in the case of an attack, you know, without human intervention, you know, that type of thing. But uh, but it's it. But it's nevertheless, it's um, it's I, I agree. It does seem to be. It's real, and it's just a question of seeing how it evolves, you know, as the years as the years go by. Uh, finally, the Federal Trade Commission is ready to pounce on companies that misuse AI. Here to tell us more about the FTC warning is Tech Target editorial government reporter Mackenzie Holland. Uh, so, what did FTC Chair Lena Khan mean when she said uh, there is no AI exemption? For business. Consumer protection laws like the Federal Trade Commission Act itself uh, were signed into law in 1914. Obviously, artificial intelligence didn't exist then, and there's been a lot of concern that those laws that were signed into law so long ago don't cover new technologies like artificial intelligence. This week, the Federal Trade Commission, you know, along with the U.S. Department of Justice, Civil Rights Division, and other consumer protection agencies, essentially came together to take the stance that these laws do apply no matter the technology, um, these consumer protection laws apply. So the laws aim to stop bias and discrimination. It doesn't matter if it comes from a real person behind a desk or an algorithm on a computer. Essentially, these laws apply, you know, no matter how old they are, um, there are ways to make these laws apply. And that's what FGC Chair Lena Khan meant when she said that there's no AI exemption. Mm. And, and what are the potential problems that FTC is worried about? I mean, you, you, you mentioned discrimination. Uh, are, there, are there others? 
Yeah, the problems are that biased algorithms, because there are studies that reveal that AI algorithms can be biased, uh, depending on the data that they're fed um, and, and other factors included in there, and that they could negatively affect large swaths of people, uh, but especially minorities uh, and those with disabilities. Uh, they could be denied housing, credit, uh, even employment. Uh, for example, if a company uses a hiring algorithm that the employer programs to select candidates similar to the existing uh, employment base, uh, the algorithm could reproduce the traits of that group. So if it's an employment base of 70% white males, the algorithm could look for similar traits and preclude something like accommodations for disabled persons. So there are plenty of examples out there where um, these algorithms could negatively impact people looking for jobs, people looking for uh, you know lending opportunities, looking for housing, uh, depending on the traits uh, that these algorithms uh, do take into account. So there are plenty of issues on hand with this. Yeah, I, I think trans when it comes to uh, AI, uh, transparency is still something that uh, I think is a problem because we don't really have transparency in these algorithms. Uh, how they make uh, how the how they make the decisions that they make, you know. Yes. Um, I, I did talk to a, an attorney with a very large law firm uh, last week, Foley and Ladner, and he made the point that when it comes to AI, uh, even though you're buying the software from somebody, right, you're still responsible for for the output, not the vendor. You know, yes. the vendor who sells it to you, which I think is, uh, is very interesting. Uh, you're pretty much, no matter what happens, what abuses result from the, the, the problems with the software, as the, as the user, as the company, you're still responsible for it. So, all right. So it sounds like, uh, uh, the legal teams and companies are going to be, are going to be busy. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, because these enforcement agencies do typically go after companies using these products to hold them accountable. But during a, the press briefing this week, where they kind of made this stance on um, you know holding AI accountable, uh, FTC Chair Lena Khan did point that out. Uh, she did recognize that you know these tools are often you know released into the wild. Lawmakers have to do cleanup after the fact. Um, and so that's why she did say that the FTC is going to be taking a second look at where they enforce the law. Um, she said the FTC has put out a notice to the market clarifying that if companies are building and producing AI tools that are designed to deceive, then those companies could potentially be on the hook uh, subject to liability for those products. So it's not something that the FTC goes after now, but it's definitely on their radar. They recognize that it's an issue if these products coming from, a you know, the, the company that makes them and going out into the wild where other companies use them, that that could be the source of the issue. And so I think that they do recognize that that's a problem, um, but they're just, they don't have the tools to go after it yet. And so they'll, they're recognizing that working on that. Sure. I, I would expect uh, companies, and they're probably doing it now, that when they do buy software uh, that's heavily dependent on AI, that they will ask the vendor they will require that the vendor uh, tell them how the algorithms work be transparent at least in contract negotiations and yeah, also, you know, technology, also they have to have risk management policies in place because there are those risks with ai that they have to mitigate and try to work around absolutely absolutely 
And then there's also the, the question of, um, uh, you know, you have risk management and, uh, they would want some kind of guarantees that the, uh, that the output, oh, the data, that's what I was thinking about, the data that goes into the software. I think companies will want to possibly use not just data from the internet, but cleaner data, you know, information that they have that they can control so that they can have a better chance of getting the output that they want, you know. Exactly. So, yeah, so there's a lot, a lot happening here, and I'm sure you'll be, uh, watching it closely. So, all right, so that wraps up this week's show. Thanks for watching and enjoy the weekend. I'll see you next week.